guys, welcome to Just the Basics. I'm Tommy Bowles. I'm Matt. And we're keeping the beat for you once a week. We are continuing our series on music theory. This is episode five now. Is that right? Or did we say four? Yeah, five. Five. Okay. I don't know why I can't remember. I couldn't remember last week either. And I checked <laughs> before we started this time and I still forgot. That's crazy. Uh, anyways, this week we're going to talk about harmony. We were going to talk about modulations, but then we realized that we don't really need to talk about modulations. And there's so much information about harmony as it is that we could talk for hours just on that. So, yeah, we're not going to we'll talk about modulations. Time. Yeah. I did actually, before we go too far into this topic, though, I actually wanted to uh, mention one thing about our time signatures topic because I saw a subreddit on music theory talking and they were having a discussion about if you can hear the difference between 5-4 time and 5-8 time just as a casual listener. And it was really funny because people in the comments were arguing about this. People saying, oh, yes, you definitely can because it's felt differently and all this other stuff. And other people are saying, no, it's it's not. You, you can't tell a difference just because of the way that it's written. You're not going to be able to necessarily hear that. And I am on the side of the fence that's saying that you can't hear the difference between 5-4 and 5-8 while it's being played because of a simple reason that time signatures, and I don't think we really made this clear last week. That's why I want to bring it up. The reason time signatures exist is for the notation aspect of it, not necessarily for the, the, the playing and the groove aspect of it. Right. Because if you were to play a song in 5-4 or 5-8, whatever, when you're playing it, you're counting to 5. And people in the comments are saying, well, yeah, but if you're playing in 5-8, you're feeling triplets, and so you're feeling it in a group of 3, then a group of 2, or a group of 2, then a group of 3. And yes, that's probably true, but... Like, have you ever guys guys ever heard take five? I mean, that's one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two. It's felt in a group of three, then a group of two. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the context of the song and how it's meant to be felt. So I just wanted to make sure we clarified that from last week, that it's not, you're not going to always hear a difference in time signatures when it's actually performed, most of it is for the notation aspect of it. Yeah, and sometimes it, it isn't even like the entire group feels uh, mm-hmm. the the time signature the same way. Sometimes True. you might feel the triplets of a compound meter while someone else is counting in four. Uh, sometimes you might, uh, you might just want to switch it up on yourself and feel it in compound or simple in a different way. Uh, that kind of gives a polyrhythmic feel for some situations. Like if you're soloing, then you can kind of switch your feel on the rhythm so you get a fresh take on how you're playing. You can use that to your advantage sometimes for your voice. So I think that everyone will usually feel 4-4 the same way. I mean, hopefully. But there is sometimes that you'll have musicians that will feel the emphasis on one and three versus two and four. Mm-hmm. I always do on two and four. There are occasional songs that one and three might work. And I think, um, like I was talking to a classical musician that seems to uh, feel it all in one and three, which is odd to me because that's kind of like 
you have a stupid audience that claps on one and three kind of a thing, but whatever. Well, it depends on the song. Like as a bass player, I know like jazz, you feel one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. You know, the the snaps are on two and four, the hi-hats on two and four. But as a bass player, I'm actually normally feeling one and three to make sure Mm -hmm. I hold the tempo steady. So like you, like you said, not everybody feels the same. It depends on the instrument that you're playing and the role that you're doing. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure we put that out there that the, the time signatures are not, they're mostly for the notation aspect of it. It does affect how it's felt some, but mostly it's for the notation. Like a prime example is, is 12-8. I don't feel 12-8 as 12. You know, I feel that in four. I count to four. And that's literally the same thing as if you wrote it in 4-4 four, four and just did triplets for every note. Mm-hmm. So anyways, now we can talk about harmony. <laughs> just wanted to put that out there because... I saw that subreddit and it just made me kind of chuckle. I was like, man, I wish I would have seen this a week earlier. All right. So harmony modulations, I guess where we should start out is talking about what harmony even is. So this, I mean, I feel like this might be pretty straightforward to people, but like we talked about triads and extensions earlier. So what we were talking about when we did those was basically one chord at a time. So like your triad, your CEG, your three notes, but we were talking about that individual thing. So we were talking about the vertical aspect of harmony, where what is this specific chord? But as Matt made a good point when we were discussing this episode, is that it's not just the vertical aspect of it that makes harmony. So the vertical aspect, what we're talking about, is the way they look when they're on when they're notated, they're stacked vertically mm-hmm. from bottom pitch to, to upper. So the vertical aspect of harmony is each individual chord, which are the triads and extensions. But... Harmony is the horizontal way that they relate to each other. It's how the music flows across the map. It can either be, you know, it's multiple notes played together, of course, that sometimes sound pleasing to the ear. Sometimes they intentionally sound harsh or dissonant or whatever you want to call it. Like, Like any sort of diminished chord, that sounds harsh, but that's done on purpose. And And it's so sweet. It can be, yeah. It depends on how it's done. I mean, sometimes diminished chords are perfect. Other times I just, I cringe. I don't know. Uh, But so they they do that. And then the other thing is the way that they either push you forward in the music, as in either the way they push you forward in the music and resolve to the next note that's that's coming after it, or the way that they just convey the emotion that the composer is trying to articulate right there. And it's uh, pretty pretty straightforward, I feel like. But there's so many different ways to write harmony and to relate them to each other. So I feel like for the best way for us to teach this is to actually just give you guys some common examples of how harmony is typically written and how people right. come up with their chord progressions. Because that's, that's really, when people are asking about harmony, they want to know, well, how do I write a chord progression? Most people don't really care what the chord progression they have in front of them really means. They're just concerned about making something their own, which is awesome because that's what music is all about is creating your own stuff. There are several different types. I feel like we should start on the simplest thing, and that's the progressive uh, progressions. Pretty straightforward there. Kind of aptly named, right? (laughs) Yeah. So chord progressions that are progressive, they work because they pull toward a resolution. So... Basically, what we mean by that is, have you ever heard a song that ends and you are like, uh, it just feels leaves you hanging? You're like, I need that last 
note to play to have it feel finished. It just doesn't feel like it solves or it resolves and feels comfortable. The resolution is that ah, moment where it just kind of relaxes and feels good. So progressive progressions drive you toward that really strongly. They tend to, they follow a specific pattern, Mm -hmm. which it's funny because you know how we were talking about last week, everything kind of goes in fours, Matt. This is another thing that weirdly goes in fours. I don't really understand that. Uh, (laughs) Everything is four. Everything is four. It's so strange. Even when it's in five. Conspiracy. (laughs) Conspiracy. Conspiracy. Something about Western music. We just like fours. I don't know. Uh, So, but you have, yeah, somewhere, somewhere there's got to be a joke. I don't know it though. Someone will tell it sometime. We'll figure it out eventually. (laughs) Um, There are four different types of chords. Again, we're looking at fours again. So I feel like this, (laughs) this is the best way. So before we really can explain what a progressive progression is we got to talk about this so there's four types of chords there's your tonic so your tonic is like home base like if you're standing at home plate you're at the tonic chord so it's your one chord in whatever key you're in so if you're in c major your tonic is c so it's pretty straightforward the other thing that sounds just like a tonic but it's not is your relative minor chord Mm mm-hmm so in C, it'd be your A minor, because honestly, they're almost the exact same thing. There's yes. just one note difference between the two. Your C major is basically an A minor 7. Right. Pretty much. Uh, I don't know. Some people look at it differently, but they're essentially the same thing. So they're both, those, both are considered your tonic part of your chord progression. Uh, your next is your subdominant. So subdominant is what drives you to, it's kind of the, the middle gap like in, along the road. So it's your four chord or your two chord. So like um, everybody has heard a four, five, one progression or a two, five, one progression, two, five, one. If you've ever listened to jazz, you've heard thousands of two, five, one progressions. Bread and butter. It, yeah, it just sounds so good. And I wish we used it more in popular music. I think that they're wonderful, but they have a very strong drive toward the resolution because they're subdominant, dominant tonic. They just follow that perfectly. And that subdominant, Matt, you know, chime in here if you think of it differently, but I kind of think of it as just like your next, all the stepping stones before you get to the door. So like your tonic would be opening mm. the door to get in. Your dominant, I feel like is standing on the porch and your subdominant is the track that you get there when you get out of the car. I feel like Sounds that's right kind of, yeah, I, I feel like that's the best way to describe that. And then your dominant, which is your five chord. So your dominant, like we said, standing on the porch, getting ready to open the door. It's like, it's right there and it pulls toward the one chord, like nobody's business. Like if you end a song on a five chord, basically everybody's going to look around the room and be like, Wait, is it over? It yeah, just, especially a 5-7. Especially a 5-7, because it doesn't feel finished. So the reason that it... Well, well I'll get to that in a second. The last, there's one other chord type before I explain that. Um, it's called a mediant chord. There's really... The only mediant chord is your three chord. Uh, th- three. Um, it 
It's a very four weak three. chord. Four three. Yeah, four three. All by himself on some. But again, people like fours. I don't know. <laughs> I think but, the median is kind of like a. Uh, it's like a tool. It, it, if you want to lay new stepping stones to take a path in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so turning it into a secondary dominant, um, adding a bit of extra flavor by instead of playing the tonic itself, playing a modified version of the, the median chord with the uh, extensions. Because just like the the six minor being very similar to the tonic, um, the one, right. the three minor is also similar to the one. So... There's a lot that you can do using it to move things forward, but hanging on it feels like empty space. So you can't just uh, get back to like, say you're playing the five, seven, you're about to resolve the song and you're like, I'm going to play the uh, three minor nine instead. Well, when you play that, it will feel like nothing happened. Like it kind of resolved, but something's missing because you probably left out the tonic. Right. The root of the whole key. But <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it it is a really nice chord when used properly, the medium, but it's not the yeah, most yeah. common one. It just doesn't really, I don't know, it's one, especially in classical music, it doesn't really fit in the same way. You know what I mean? Right. I feel I'd like say it it's should. underused and really important to the tool set. It's just you mm-hmm. have to understand that its function like I said, it establishes new paths. It's not your home base right. or anything. Well, we actually will show our show the listeners today how to use that chord a little bit farther on. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as the actual progressive, uh, the progressive progressions, I, I feel like there's got to be a better way to say that. <laughs> um, but as far as that is concerned, the <laughs> median chord basically isn't used. That three chord, momentous progression. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As as far as that is concerned, you don't really use that. But so, Matt, let's talk about why that the resolutions are so strong in a progressive progression. So the biggest thing being that five seven to a one chord. So the five seven chord in your key is C because that's just the easiest one to think about. That's G, B, D, and F. So. And then your C chord, C major 7, is C, E, G, and B. Did I get that right? Did I say anything wrong? Mm-hmm. I don't think I can't. I don't think I did. So what you have in there is you have a couple sets of leading tones that pull really strongly toward your resolutions. And right. that's what makes it so so powerful. So the first note that you have that's a leading tone in that is your B in the G chord. So G, B, D, F. So that B is only a half step away from your root note of the next chord. So that half step wants to resolve up to make that strong resolution. Then the next one is that F. I've messed my notes up. I've got that backwards, but I wrote it. But the F is a half step above your E. So it wants to pull itself back down. So the B wants to go up and the E wants to go down. And then you have the one and the three, your defining notes of your uh, tonic key, the C major. So you have those two that want to do that. Then your other two notes, the G and the D, 
So the D is only going to move a ha- move a whole step, so either to a C or to an E. But the other notes, so G and B, again, those actually repeat as well. So you keep that G and you keep the B in there. So you have, out of these notes, the only note that is not moving a half step or staying the same is the D. And it could be that way if you did like a C major 9. It could stay the same. It kind of depends on the feeling that you're going to. But that pull is really, really strong. And so that's what makes it feel like it just resolves comfortably. So in order to properly do a progressive progression, gosh, I still hate that. Um, <laughs> you would need to start on your tonic, then you go to a subdominant, then your dominant, then your tonic. So it's pretty pretty simple. I, this is like used all the time in popular music. Right. Uh, popular music, worship music, anything like that, it's used all the time. As far as just to give note names for it to make it easier to understand. So if you're in the key of C, your tonic is C major or A minor, but for we'll just use C major. Then if you go to your subdominant, so your subdominant is your four chord, which is F. Or you can go to the two minor, which would be D minor. So C to F, C, F, or D minor, which are, is the same, but we'll just use F. So C, F. Then your dominant, which is your five chord, so G. So C, F, G, and then you resolve to C. So, I mean, how many times have you heard that chord progression played, Matt? You know, you, you hear over all this over, over and over. And the cool, the nice thing about it is it's cyclical. So you can just repeat it over and over and over again. So it kind of, I mean, all music has to repeat at some point, but when you use just the four chords like that, it can kind of create a feeling of laziness if you're listening to it that way and you just hear the same thing over and over and over again for four minutes straight. Uh, that repetition can get boring. So you can use mm-hmm. substitution chords to change that. So let's say you want to go to C to F, G, C. Okay. Well, you want to spice it up a little bit, make it not quite as boring. So you could go C, F, D minor, G, C, and just you know change from the F to that D minor halfway through the measure, or do C for four beats, F for four beats, D minor for four beats, and then G for four beats, and have your four measure four bar phrase just be that. So all you're doing when you do that is just stretching the same thing out a little bit, just adding that same. Uh, same function of the chord. So you still have a subdominant chord in there. You're just stretching it out a little bit, giving it a little bit different flavor so it's not as repetitive. Right. Uh, I think that's a really nice thing to do. It's not overly complicated, but it just gives it a little bit of extra taste. Now, there's one chord in this that we didn't talk about, and that is your seven diminished chord. Uh, or half diminished. Seven half diminished. And that one is kind of a special chord. Wouldn't you say so, Matt? Yeah, mostly because you very rarely actually see it used. Right. Just not common. Uh, You might have what is technically the seven of your key being used, but Mm -hmm. um, it just usually will be modified by that point. You'll have a different key that you're using it, and the seven half diminished itself isn't so much a uh, 
when you're playing in major, mind you, because like talking word in C, C, you're not going to really have that B half diminished, especially not in pop or contemporary or worship or folk or whatever. You're literally never going to hear it. But if you switch things over to minor and then we go more of a bossa nova direction, then you will hear it constantly because it's the two. Uh, right. So you'll have uh, like Black Orpheus's progression. We have one minor, two half diminished, five, seven, flat nine, one minor. And that exact chord progression you'll hear in lots of different bossa novas. Blue bossa, um, yesterday's, not yesterday, yesterday's. I think that I think there's both of those plus the Paul McCartney one. So yesterday's I think is the one that I'm thinking of. But there's a bunch of other uh, bosses and Latin music that uses that progression. So that's where you'll end up hearing it. And that might be why it doesn't get much use. Cause even if a, um, a pop song is in minor, you don't really hear that too, just like you don't really hear the two minor when you're playing in major. Right. Did you have anything else on the, uh, the seven? I think we use it a little bit more in uh, jazz or make use of it because it, yeah. of our changing keys, but it really is kind of avoided because it's because it's diminished. so harsh. Yeah, and if they don't use sevens, then it's kind of bleh. Right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You definitely can use it to expand the five. So the same example I gave, where instead of playing the four chord again, if you play the two chord, if you play the seven instead of the five chord, it has a very, very. It has the same function. It's still a dominant chord, but well the dominant function it's not a dominant chord but the dominant function uh but you got to be careful with it you can't just throw that in there every single time because that crunchiness is going to turn people off i mean it's what the five seven is it's just lacking the right except the five at that point right it's you're just adding um a tritone well i mean you have a tritone in the five seven chord but it's just the way it's voiced is crunchy really crunchy and not everybody likes that. So I I think it is good to in the progressive uh, progressions to to use it to expand your five chord, your dominant sound. But it's not something that I would recommend doing often. You know, one way that it's actually used a lot, and I, I didn't think about this till just now, and uh, in church music is instead of writing a seven diminished, seven half diminished, they will write a five over seven. So instead of writing B half diminished, they write G over B. So you have mm-hmm. a B in the root note, which is essentially the same thing. It's just voice a little different because your five seven chord is basically the same thing as a excuse me as a uh, seven half diminished. They're basically the same thing, but in church music they don't like to use the seven in the dominant chord. Typically, you'd see G, not G seven. So when they write G over B, they don't have the uh, that crunchy note in there. Right. So singers don't like to sing over diminished chords. Right. Especially not volunteer singers. Exactly. It makes it much harsher, and so just it's not a bad thing, but it's it's um you know it's just it's a nice sound, but you just have to use it in the right context, and so you just have to be aware of that. You can use it to d- expand that. Just don't overuse it. The, so the next thing is the regressive progressions. So 
that's essentially the opposite of your progressive ones. Instead of driving to the five, they go backwards away from it. So instead of doing tonic, subdominant, dominant, tonic, they tend to go tonic, dominant, subdominant, tonic. Right. And in my opinion, these chords, that chord progression is really useful for uh, creating a sound that is more peaceful. It doesn't drive toward a finish line. It just kind of hangs there. You can repeat it forever. I think that's why it's so common in worship music to do that, church music. Mm-hmm. Like a really common progression to see there is you will see uh, one, six, five, four. And it just kind of falls down and uh, just really relaxing feeling. I believe the song How He Loves is done that way. But it doesn't drive to a finish line. So depending on what you're trying to convey in your song, you don't necessarily want to do that. Uh, but it does have a purpose. It just doesn't have that leading tone pull to make it want to resolve. So It's a frowned upon, well, I wouldn't say frowned upon necessarily, but it's discouraged in your Theory 101 class because obviously that creates a quote-unquote weaker progression because it's more open-ended, it's harder to finish, it creates a... Uh, a wider and less defined uh, sense of momentum. You're kind of just kind of falling off the beaten path and um, a younger student has to learn the progressive progressions and such. So they discourage regression at first. But Mm -hmm. I think that once you understand what it means to have a a regressive progression, then... (laughs) Uh, a regressive regression, then you can really use that to your advantage. There's a lot of um, avant 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 garde jazz has a lot of that usage to kind of keep things really open ended. Of course, they're going to be going all over the place in every direction in harmony, but right. that's one of the tools that will be used to create that ethereal width until you finally get to the end and it might not even really finish. It might just kind of end somewhere. Um, one of the examples that I found just cause I wanted to find one thing beyond just worship writers, probably not actually realizing they're writing with a regressive technique and doing it anyway, because they're like, okay, that sounds fine and walk away from it. But I did figure out that in the legend of Zelda, the popular melody, Zelda's Lullaby. If you listen to that, it kind of like you said, Tommy, it can be repeated forever. Mm-hmm. It can go on and on and on and on. And that's part of the point of it because a lot of video game music, it's going to be on loop for right. potentially yeah. hours. Of course. Um, so that specific melody, though, it takes... Um, it starts on the subdominant, or, or four, goes to the five, it goes back to the four, it goes to the five, goes to the four, and then it goes off, it kind of modulates a little bit, it never touches the tonic, and it ends on the four, to five, back to four, and it just goes over and over again, and there's literally no sense of what key that you're in. And that's right. using uh, that's using a regressive chord progression 
to um, to symbolize what the music is supposed to be communicating to the player or the listener because it's representing a character that is elusive and out of your reach and and um, you keep losing them and they're away from you and you can't understand them because they're mysterious and secretive mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's representing something. And so I'm sure that that's really, really common in film scores. Uh, I don't that's know true. of a specific I example. I didn't really look it up. I only did enough research to find that example. I'm like, hey, that's a really cool one. I like that one. I'm a nerd. And then I was like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> right. That's true. I didn't think about that, but it does kind of create a sense of longing. Like it's just, you know, like you said, it doesn't, it does, it's unfinished. That's, that's kind of an interesting point. And yeah, I think the whole looping part of it is definitely a good fact, a good factor for this, especially now in modern music, because so many music is built off of loops. Yeah. And if they keep going back to the tonic over and over and over and over again, then you keep on hitting home over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason that the typical one six four five one six four five one six four five is it's very identifiable, but it can get annoying because yes, there's no actual direction that it will go. You don't, you probably don't even have an actual B section, things like that. It just it's heavily right. repetitive. It's very obvious. It's that's true. Highly predictable. So for people that don't really know music that that well and or don't really care, then it'll sound familiar to them. Hence why it's very popular in pop to use that progression because people hear it and like, oh, that's a good song. It's because that it sounds like every song they've ever heard and that they've ever liked. So right, that's usually why that's, that's true. There. But at the same time, if they use a bit of of regression, then you can have your little house dance music. Uh, play for three hours straight and the DJ just sits back in a lawn chair and smiles because no one really notices because it never finishes. (laughs) That's true. And honestly, I kind of like the feeling of the regressive 1654 better than the 1645 uh, because I feel like it doesn't, it feels like it's falling because you're going down in pitch, but from a four to a one, you can still continue to fall down in pitch and just keep mm-hmm. going. But a five one kind of has to move up in order for it to feel proper. Going from a five down to a one just sounds a little unusual. So I feel in a like weird way it keeps moving forward. It's only annoying when a band finishes the song on the four and doesn't play it intentionally I guess would be my way of saying it like if you leave it open-ended like that without actually realizing that that's what you're doing it it annoys me to no end when a group does that that they lost a opportunity to leave the listeners hanging right that's they true just and one it thing on a chord like that without defining that's what they're doing yeah well because you've got the plagal cadence, the four one cadence, the Amen Hallelujah chorus ending, and it's such a strong, beautiful cadence. So when you go from the four to the one, it's just like ah, you know, it just feels good. But mm-hmm. one thing I think would be cool, because a lot of places don't do this, they don't transition between their songs. So I think if you're doing like a one, six, five, four, so you got the four major going, I'd think it'd be awesome to switch it to minor and then use yeah, that yeah. as your uh your pivot tone in order to switch it to a new key. 
But anyways, that's getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, that's but, just, but say we said we wouldn't talk about modulation. Now you're confusing the poor listeners. I know, I can't They're just help babies, it. Tommy. And I'm talking about cadences, and we haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> snicker, snicker. Oh, man. Tisk, tisk. So, anyways. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, the next thing, I guess, would be... I don't think there's really a whole lot else to, we could talk about with the regressive or pro, or progressive cadence uh, resolutions, whatever you want to call them. Nah, I think that pretty much I covers mean, those. Regression, it kind of you'll you'll hear it all over the place, mm-hmm. and it's really not the easiest thing to identify in the world. No matter what, it's moving forward. It's just retrogression or regression, whatever you want to call it. It's going to become a tool that you can use and it's so much better for you and your compositions and your songwriting if you understand that that's what you're doing Mm -hmm. and we'll and because you can take advantage of it and make really cool things happen with it or like i said not actually know what you're doing and just decide okay that sounds fine and publish it and that's it yeah that's true um Oh, one other thing too with these two is they're not exclusive. Like you can have a regressive uh, progression and a progressive regression in the same song, and it'll be fine. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, like you go all one thing place. you could do just to extend your phrase, you go one, six, five, four. Maybe throw your media in there, you know, as a turnaround to get back to the six, and then four, five, one. You know, one six five four three six four five one. That'd be kind of cool, because then you're extending your phrase. You're having that feeling of longing, and then you resolve it and finishes it. And it's like, oh, it's kind of nice. Um, again, too with harmony. Remember, these are all just suggestions based off of what other people have done and what is common. That doesn't mean you have to follow them to a T. If you like the sound of just random stuff like if you like the way a c chord sounds and then you like the way a g flat sounds right after it i mean you're probably the only one but you can do it (laughs) um don't think that you you can't do something that you think sounds good just because tommy and matt said that this is the way it's normally done we're just explaining how the basics of how most people do it based upon what has been done in the past I'm going to have to call you out there because you totally like how a C going to a G flat sounds because that's a tritone sub. Well, I guess that's true. If you resolve it down <laughs> to an F, though. Yeah. yeah. If you if you don't resolve it to an F, I'm probably not going to care for it too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I'd I like to throw tritone subs in there. I think they're pretty interesting. Um, yeah, of course. So I guess So the next thing, I guess, would be descending thirds progression. That's... Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's what it sounds like. It's descending third. So this one is a weird one, though. I wouldn't use this through the entire progression of notes. So what it does, every chord, basically, you drop a third or you go up a sixth, depending on how you want to look at it. So if you went through the entire cycle, you'd have one, six minor, four, two, seven, five, three, one. Is really kind of random, and I wouldn't recommend doing that for your entire thing. But mm-hmm. you can use it in pieces. So let me explain. Basically, the way I look at these are as substitution chords. So 
one to a six. Those both chords there, as we talked about, are both considered tonic chords. Four to a two, those are both considered subdominant chords. Seven to a five are both considered, um, those are both considered dominant chords. And then three to one, as Matt mentioned earlier, even though the three is mediant, you can use that kind of as a tonic feel depending on how you voice it. So the way I like to look, look at them is just as a, a substitution method to farther to expand on what you already have and make it more interesting. So just like we talked about earlier, you know, you can go one, four, five, so C, F, G, C, or you can do C, F, D minor, G, C, or you could do C, F, D minor, G, B half diminished, C. So you see how that works there. You can take the, the part of the phrase that you're in, the dominant, subdominant, whatever, and expand it by going down a third from that chord that you're in. So kind of interesting how that works. I think it's pretty cool. It's uh, just another tool for the bag, not something that I recommend that you just do just because. Though it would be kind of interesting to hear like a, like a Taylor Swift album based off that chord progression. <laughs> Can you imagine? That would be weird. It would be kind of cool. Yeah, so with the descending thirds, there's not really a whole lot more else to look at them other than as substitution chords, in my opinion. But it would be kind of interesting. The next thing is the circle of fourths, which is my favorite progression. I think it is the most satisfying and it is the most interesting. And it lets you do all sorts of fun stuff that you don't do in your normal... One four five one progressions. Circle of force, most common in jazz. That's where you hear it. People hear that sound and they think of it as a jazzy sound. Even though there's nothing really jazzy about playing through the circle of force, it's just what jazz guys decided to do. When we play the circle of force, though, it's different than these other progressions. We actually play through the whole cycle, typically. So you play all the chords that are in the key signature. So if you're in the key of C, you'd have C then you have F, then you have B half diminished, then you have E minor, A minor, D minor, G7, back to a C. So that's how that's laid out for as far as the basic structure of it. But jazz players don't leave that alone, and like everything else in the world, we just mess them up and change it, and then other people look at us like we're crazy, but it sounds good, so who cares? (laughs) Uh, the biggest thing that jazz guys like to do is do what's called a secondary dominant. So basically what you do is you take a chord and you turn, when you're going through the circle of fourths, so every time you're going up a fourth, basically creating a 5-1 resolution. So C to F is 1 to 4 in the key of C, but it's 5 to 1 in the key of F. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, F to B is 4 to 7 in the key of C, but 5 to 1, flat 5 to 1 in the key of B, etc., etc. So what jazz guys have started, well, have started doing, what jazz guys have done since the beginning of jazz is they like to take some of those chords that are going up a fifth or up a fourth and tonicize it or, and change it to a dominant chord. So instead of playing E minor, when, before we go to A minor, we would probably play E7. So E, G sharp, B, D, instead of E, G, B, D. Mm-hmm. 
And what that does is it adds an extra leading tone leading to the next chord. So it creates a stronger pull, a stronger progression, makes a cycle never stop going. So it just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning because you keep adding these extra notes there that tonicize it and push it forward. Pretty straightforward. They're really fun. What I like about them, like in the key of C, let's say you're, let's say you're playing a solo over, over that progression, you're going through the fourths. And you've got that uh, five, seven to that five of six. So you have the, instead of E minor, you have an E7. Well, when you get to that chord, now you don't have to play in the key of C anymore. You can play the A harmonic minor, add an extra note in there, and that crunch from that extra note, or the extra note is not going to sound crunchy or dissonant. It is going to fit right in perfectly with what's going on. So you're not playing out of the key. You are actually just playing what is tonicized and creating a new texture, a new feel based off of what has happened. And it's really cool. It makes it, everything just sounds natural when you do it. It doesn't sound out of place. So that's one of my favorite progressions. Uh, Matt, do you have anything to add on that? I I don't think so. I mean, that's uh definitely gives a lot of what jazz musicians do. It's that in itself is a pretty straightforward progression, just because it you know it's pretty much all keeping in one key per se, adding the harmonic minor part. And then you'll see that same usage of uh, tonicizing new chords along the way until you get back to your original key. So mm-hmm. the E7 to A minor 7, that kind of a 2-5-1 might occur with a whole bunch of other chords too. This is just like a really mm-hmm. good and strong example that's straightforward that tell that shows you how we use secondary dominance properly without it just being stupid and random. Right. Yeah, it just adds more flavor, more interest to it. Keeps everything moving and fun and interesting. It allows there to be more tension and release throughout the song so it's not a big, wide wave from the start Mm -hmm. all the way to the finish. Or little tiny hippity hops like the one six four five one six four five one six four five. That's that true. just makes little hippity 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 hippity. Who cares? Now we just boom. We right. Care. But in this, it allows for multiple landings of different homes. So here you are in C at your house. You go and visit your friend in A minor, and then you're heading back home to your lovely place of C. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is still cyclical. I mean, you can play that for days. I mean, mm-hmm. how many times, Matt, did we take like a, a two-minute melody and we turned it into a 10-minute song, you know, almost oh, every yeah. time? Of course. Because it's just so much more to work with, you know. You have more notes. You have more interest going on, more things changing, and it's just fun. Now, that doesn't mean that in order to have an interesting progression, you got to have all, have a ton of chords in there. That's not true either. Uh, that's farthest from the truth, mm-hmm. but to create a something that can be repeated for hours and not lose interest, I think you have to have more stuff going on. Just me personally, that's what I think. The circle of force progression, it's not really progressive or regressive. If it tends toward anything, I'd say it tends toward the progressive side. 
because yeah, you yeah. can have the five one cadences if you tonicize everything. But as far as in the key itself, it's not really either one, I would say. I mean, it drives toward that five chord. So I guess it's more progressive than regressive. But it's just yeah, kind of its own animal. It's I like it. I think it's just really interesting. So, but one the other thing I want to talk about in this episode is why that these progressions make sense. So these are just like some of your basic ones. Obviously, there's way more stuff out there that is really fascinating. Uh, but these progressions are most popular in like American music, I would say, because of the way that we resolve things, the way that our cadences are. So a cadence is just the way that you resolve a harmony. So a lot of times when you're writing a chord progression, you're writing it with that cadence in mind. Like, how do you want this to end? And so you fill in the gaps of how to get there. Not always, but that's how a lot of people do write. So there are three types of cadences. Uh, The first one is your authentic cadence, which that is your 5-1 or 5-2-1. I mean, like not... Ah, I'm five <laughs> one. You, uh, you know what I'm trying to say. Not five two two five two T O five to one. Five one. Oh my there gosh! Go. Yes, thank you, Matt. You build me out there. Uh, five seven one. You could say that too. But so G to C or C to F or F to B flat, whatever. That's your authentic cadence. Now, if you want to get really technical, there's two types of authentic cadence. There's perfect authentic and the imperfect authentic. But that's just referring to part writing and to classical theory and stuff that really, for the purpose of what we're explaining to you, you don't really need to know. So your authentic cadence is probably your most common one. Even in like every progressive line, you know, uh, one, six, four, five, one. You have that five, one cadence is super, super common. In the mm-hmm. circle of force progression, we talk about every single one of those is basically an authentic cadence. You basically have five ones all over the place. So that is your most common thing. Uh, your next one is your deceptive cadence, which I really like the deceptive cadence. Yep. So what that does, it goes instead of ending on a one chord, it ends on a minor six chord or a minor one. And I think it's really cool because it kind of leaves you hanging a little bit, but it feels finished. So it's like kind of spooky. It's kind of like airy and out there. It's just like, I, I don't know. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. I should have thought about this before we recorded it, but it's really nice. You know, uh, it just adds a nice little touch to it. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. And a lot of the time, the reason that it's called deceptive is when you hear the five going to the six, it instead of even though that six is a quote unquote tonic, it mm-hmm. suspends everything in the song. And that's why a lot of the time you'll hear a deceptive cadence used and then it'll repeat um, the tagline at the end and then actually end it with the authentic five to one cadence so that's very 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 common in worship music and pop to do that but i think Mm -hmm. for us that play jazz we'll use a deceptive cadence and then we'll like take it a different direction by modulating the key taking things a half step up like switching it up beyond just going with uh that basic five six tag end um ending on the six itself now that 
if you really do that at the exact end of the song, then yep, that's going to be spooky. Mm-hmm. It's I can't I can't think of any examples of that actually happening either off the top of my head. But if you do that, then you're a cruel, cruel soul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's really cool though to do that, you know. But yeah. it, it's kind of like ah, I tricked you. <laughs> you thought it was going to be one, but it wasn't. Uh, and uh, I like it. I think it's fun. The last one I alluded to this earlier is the plagal cadence. So this is the least common out of all these, I would say. Well, actually, I don't know. The plagal, you do hear it a lot. Probably plagal and deceptive are pretty equal as far as the amount of airtime that they get. But plagal is that four to one. So like I said, it's the amen cadence. It ends the hallelujah chorus. It's It's very, very common in hymns. It, it, very common in hymns, yep. And to me, it sounds like very satisfying. And it sounds yeah. kind of victorious. Like, I just won the battle. Yes. All right. We are good to go. Let's go home, folks. You know, it's, I, it, I just like it. I don't know. It's, uh, I think it's because the four going to the one is not at, it doesn't have as strong of a pull as the five going into one. So, it's a much more relaxed cadence because mm-hmm. it kind of just settles itself from the four into the one That's instead true. of the five holding the tension release. So even though the five to one is very satisfying and common and um, more frequent, you won't see plagal cadences thrown in uh, for like two, four ones in a jazz song or something like that. But for this, at the end of the song, they'll literally stick this at the end of any hymn in existence, whether or not it's in the hymnal, if they just feel like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's true. And the other thing about it is the way that the part writing typically works. Now, I know in popular music, you don't really do part writing per se, but it's still the the way the notes work are very similar. In a five to one, like we said earlier, it has a strong upward pull. So it feels like everything is taking from your top note. Your top notes are going down, your bottom notes are going up, and you're cramming everything into a smaller space. You stretch the five chord out and then smash it down for the one chord, and it just feels very satisfying. Well, the four to one is the opposite. You start in and you expand everything out. So your bottom pitch drops and your top pitch rises. And you just everything just kind of goes from tight to open, and it's just like, huh, that was nice, you know? I I think that's the other thing that causes that to happen. Mm. Just kind of goes the opposite way. So, uh, so we're we're going to talk about modulations here, but really all modulations are are key sign or key changes. So if you hear people talk about modulations, it's not as complicated as what they're what it sounds like. It's just changing your key over. There are hundreds of ways that you could do this. There are some more common than others, but. If you use your basic, uh, use our the chord progressions, the way that we laid them out for you, use those common ways of doing it and just use that. Think about those when you're making your key changes, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Think about your cadences, what type of, how do you want it to sound when you switch, and you'll be okay on those. Honestly, even in uh, the worship music setting, if I'm modulating, if we actually have a... Um, one song going right into another one of a different key. Mm -hmm. Even though two five ones are not a thing for worship music, what I will do is I'll find what is the smoothest way 
to get from the key of song one to a two, five, one into the new song. So mm-hmm. if you start with said two, five, one for your new key and then just work your way back from there of something that sounds smooth, interesting, whatever it might be, then you can find a way to transition from one key to the other because a two, five, one has such an extreme extremely comfortable and established mm-hmm. definition for your new key that no one will be confused. And especially if you use two minor seven, five, seven, and one as just a normal triad. Right. Especially in those settings. Too, you don't have to do that in jazz, obviously. Like you can find right. crazy ways of modulating. But that's a really easy way to in a group with volunteers or less experienced individuals that defines the key so well Mm -hmm. that they will feel comfortable. They won't get confused of what are all the notes. They'll just hear it. It'll just be a brand new key and they won't think of it at all. Right. Yeah. And it obviously depends on what two keys you're trying to connect. So if you're trying to connect, you're starting a C and you're going to F. Well, I personally wouldn't play that G minor in F. I would just, if I end on a C chord, I would literally just change it to a C7 to an F and just go five one instead of two five one, so sure. it depends on yeah. where you're at. Uh, but really, though, like we said, just follow those basic uh, cadences and you'll be okay with it. Like the two five one is a great idea. You could do four five one. You could just do five one. Um, obviously, we're talking about all sorts of five one stuff here, but those are the strongest and they're going to define it the best for you. It gives um, you all the notes that are mm-hmm. there really clearly and I and think you don't it, lose the leading it, tone yeah yeah and i i do believe that it depends on who you're playing with if it's really experienced singers then you can have a fairly quick modulation and they'll be fine a half step modulation a lot of singers are comfortable with if you just boom you just jump into the new key a half step up i mean that's pretty common in pop anyway mm-hmm. just key change key change Beyonce does it all the time. And even though she's a really good singer, it's still comfortable changes to just bring things half step up. It it feels fine for them. But if you have inexperienced singers that they need time to have things established and really hear their new tonicized home, then you do want to create a, a very smooth route from one into the other to be able to have that very finely drawn out and... It'll sound much better than if you just stop the ones the song one and start song two. It will, in my in my opinion, like it sounds much 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 better. And even though in a worship setting, your focus isn't really about making everything sound perfect and performance level amazing or anything like that. That might not be what it's about. It's still just a nice thing that you can do to keep things at a good excellent level. And it's not as difficult as people want to make it out to be, like most things with music. Right. And if you're playing pop music or rock or something like that in a cover band or that sort of thing, chances are the way you're ending your songs is different and you're not going to have to worry about doing a key change because those types of songs have built-in intros and outros typically. So you're going to yeah, play... riffs and things like that. Exactly. So you're going to play your ending and if you're playing at a at a bar or something like that, you might get some applause, whatever. But so it's... It's a little bit different, especially if you're going to talk in between songs and that sort of thing. You don't have to worry about it as much. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still something to consider because it still sounds pretty harsh if you're 
going from the key of C to suddenly you're playing in the key of E flat and you don't do any transition. Sometimes your modulation is letting the the uh, person with the microphone tell a joke or two. Yeah, exactly. And just laying off of it before you start giving it some dead space. <laughs> Sometimes that works. Just don't let them tell too many bad jokes or people will leave. And don't give the mic to the drummer. <laughs> ever. Ever. Don't do not do it. He'll drool on it and it'll short out. <laughs> he might get zapped. <laughs> oh, gosh. Drummer jokes. They're the best. That's the my favorite part about music is drummer jokes. Can't turn the beat around if you're unconscious. I bet you there's a subreddit just for drummer jokes. There's got to be. There's a subreddit for everything. Yeah. I got to look it up, see if I can find one. Um, so anyways, that is finishes our topic for today. So one thing, though, before we wrap up, I know we've been saying that we have some special things coming up. We are launching a Patreon page, and we actually have that going live today, the day that it is being published. So you can go ahead, and if you want to support us, it's you can. Uh, we'll share it on social media. We'll put it on the on the website. We will. Uh, so basically, what Patreon is for those of you that don't know is it is a way for people like us that are creating content to be able to support our content. Because right now, everything, we don't make any money off this podcast. We don't have any ads. That's intentional. I don't really want to have any ads in here. But we don't make any money off of it either. So we do have expenses that we're paying, our hosting, microphones, all that stuff, or stuff that we paid out of pocket. And it's hard to continue paying a monthly thing when it just you know it just adds up and adds up and adds up. So what Patreon does is it allows our listeners to help support us, and so that's how we keep the co- that's how we're going to keep the show going is having people like you that like our content enough to actually donate money to us and help us out with it. But that isn't going to be just for nothing, though. We do have some special rewards that we're doing. The coolest thing is that we are doing a special offer from now until the end of June. So if you sign up uh, to be one of our patrons at the walking upright tier, which would be uh, $5 a month or more, then we are going to send you guys some custom, uh, custom guitar pick that has our new logo that has not yet been seen. So we would really appreciate your support through there. We do have all sorts of stuff we are going to do. For example, we, um, we, if you are on our Patreon page, you're going to get early access to all these episodes. So we're going to be releasing them on Friday, not Monday. So the Friday before Monday is when we're going to be releasing all of the podcast episodes. Uh, we have a subreddit that we are going to give you flair on, which I'm not still not really exactly sure what that is, but people seem to like it. So we're going to do that. Uh, <laughs> then, we're old. Yeah, ideas. right. It's funny because subreddit is not really anything I've really looked at before because when I was a kid, Reddit had a bad reputation of just being places to go find bad things that nobody wants. But now it is actually really cool. Like I, I was looking through it. There's some really cool stuff on Reddit. Obviously, there's still terrible things on there, but there's actually some cool stuff. So it's actually been fun. I've been following a music theory feed, and so I was helping a guy out this morning learn how to figure out his scales. He was having trouble with it. So it's, it's fun. I, I think it's interesting. So we're going to have a subreddit for people to discuss our our episodes in the community. and we, so That way we can interact with you guys too. Uh, we, there is a thing called lens that we're going to be doing through Patreon. So for our, for, uh, our patrons lens is basically Snapchat for Patreon. So it'll, what we'll do is we'll post stuff and give you guys inside access to what we're doing. So I'll, we'll walk you through stuff like, 
how we're setting up for our mics. When we're planning, we'll show you this is our planning process. What apps are we using? How are we doing this? You know, just to give you guys an insight onto our day to day stuff with the podcast uh, and the blog and all that stuff. The next thing we're going to do, we're also going to do a monthly Q&A session, which that's the part I'm most excited about. So this is going to be a Q&A session that only our patrons are going to be involved in. So what we'll do is we have a, a Patreon community on here where you can, we'll create a patron-only post where you can submit your questions, and then we'll either live stream it or do it as another podcast where we answer your questions. So I think that'll be really awesome. Uh, the other thing that we're going to do is to, if you, depending on what tier you are, so we have another tier called Band Leaders, $10 a month. Uh, if you do that, we'll give you guys a shout out on our uh, on the podcast live on air. Well, I guess it's not really live, but on air, we'll give you a shout out, mention you by name, and we will uh, tag you in social media and we'll promote you there and give you credit for it. Uh, we will also give you a vote in any, what'd you say? To say what instrument you play. Yeah, what instrument you play or don't play or whatever, you know, we'll 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 get we'll hit, give you a shout out, hit you up. Um the other thing we're gonna do is give you guys a vote in polls before we start releasing new types of content. So like if we wanna do a new t shirt design, what we'll do is we'll give you the vote, we'll show you two t shirt designs, let you choose which one you like better before we actually post it to be able to be sold. So stuff like that I think is really cool. Uh, the last tier, which is going to be for $15 a month, this one here, we're actually going to release a bonus episode every month for people that are willing enough to do this. And it's only going to be accessible for those uh, those patrons. So it probably won't be a full hour long episode. It'll probably be just a, like a 20 or 30 minute thing. But still, we're going to give extra content to those people. And we're also going to put your name in the show notes of every episode. So on our website, you're going to have your name listed out. It'll be visible on iTunes, Spotify, all that stuff as a special thank you. So, again, I just want to emphasize though, this is not just us trying to make money on this. This is, we want to help people as much as we can learn music because music should be accessible to everybody. It should be a lot of fun and it shouldn't be something that stresses people out or worries them. So, we want to help everybody actually be able to express themselves to the joys of music. And so, what Patreon does is it allows us to actually continue to do this. It will give us another platform. It'll let us create more content because right now we're just doing this on our days off in between. Like we've recorded stuff before I go to work. You know, most of the time I'm record, I'm editing these things until about midnight or one o'clock in the morning, Sunday night for them to be published on Monday, just because we're squeezing them in with our day job. So having support through Patreon will actually allow us to spend more time with it because we'll be able to we'll be able to put more energy into it if we're actually having some sort of income through the process. So, um, Matt, do you have anything else you want to add about the Patreon page? Not really. I mean, we want to hear from you people. Your, your input is really valuable to us. So if you have ideas for what you want to see in Mm -hmm. future seasons, things that you specifically want us to talk about, I can imagine that some of you that are interested in jazz, got through this episode and you're like, oh my gosh, they didn't explain giant steps. Oh no. Well, that's because, well, for one, we've talked about giant steps before, but also (laughs) we will probably devote an entire episode to giant steps and the many, 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 many songs that that progression is seen in and where it came from and how he made that along with maybe some other classic progressions that 
yeah, that'd um, be a good season want to, to do. know about. That'd be a really good yeah, season. Because it, it would be okay to talk about here. It's just, it's, it's got a lot of depth to it, and we can simplify it for you, and we'll talk about that another time. But just don't worry. If you want to hear about that, it's on its way. Yeah. We got stuff like that coming, and this just is going to help us do more of that. And then, like Matt was saying, we want to hear from you guys, but we especially want to hear from our patrons. So if you know there's something you really want us to talk about, the people that are supporting us through Patreon are going to be the ones that we're going to address first. Not that we're going to respond to your emails and your tweets and all that stuff, because we definitely will, and we want to interact with everybody, but the patrons are going to be the ones that we're going to focus on more, which I feel like is the logical thing. Right, exactly. So, um, have you no friends? We'll be your friends. If yeah, you're breathing. We'll be your friend and teach you music thingies. Well, we'll at least try. <laughs> we'll do our best, you know. Oh man. So yeah, like I said, Patreon is just—it's a project that we're doing because right now this is just a, a passion project for us. But we'd love for it to be a lot more than that. And it's really hard to do that when we're not making any sort of income from it because. I can't quit my day job. Not going to happen. So, you know, it's just something to consider. If you really like the show, we would love it if you're willing to donate to us on Patreon. If you hate the show, then that's fine. You, or if you don't feel like you want to donate to us, that's fine too. We're not going to be offended by it. This is just something for people that really are invested in the show, want to get more content, want to get to know us better. This is something we would really appreciate you guys doing. Um, Anyways, if you guys could look us up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Twitter and Facebook, I'm at T Bowls Music. And uh, our website is TommyBowls.com. We are working on a new website design that's not ready yet, but we will have that out probably within the next two to three weeks. We'll probably have that released for you guys. Um, yeah. Other than that, I think that pretty much wraps up the show. I think so. I, well, do you have a recommendation for this? Oh, week? that's a good, good point. A good a recommendation. Um, so I've actually I've been listening to more podcasts lately than um, than music, which is kind of strange for a musician. But so <laughs> I would definitely recommend you guys check out the "You'll Hear It" podcast. So uh, it's a daily jazz podcast by uh, Peter Peter Martin and Adam Menace. Adam Menace. It's hard to say because it has the double M. Um, but they're two jazz cats. They're awesome. It's by Open Studio is their company that they build it off of. But So Monday through Friday, they release an episode. Every single one of those days, it's about 15 to 25 minutes long, giving different musical advice. So it's mostly based off the jazz world because they're jazz, they're jazz cats. But they have some really cool stuff on there. So I'd check them out. Uh, what about you, Matt? Um, well, I think that... I would recommend that if you haven't already, because I don't think I've actually recommended this, that you should go and listen to Giant Steps because we will reference it a lot. Mm-hmm. Both both of us aren't huge on Coltrane. I know Tommy doesn't like how harsh his tone is, and I have to be in a in a mood to listen to Coltrane, but Giant Steps itself is extremely important to um, us teaching you about jazz. And if you don't understand what it sounds like, and then we just need you to go and hear it, listen to it once, twice, a bunch of times. 
and really hear what Coltrane did when he used that. Remember, it was very experimental. It was inspired, but this is, it's the first time that that happened. And it's Mm -hmm. a really, really big deal for jazz. So if you are not already familiar with Giant Steps, then I would say go listen to that. And then also listen to Central Park West, which is a ballad version of the same progression. And both of those together give you two sides of Coltrane. And it's really, really important that you at least have an ear for what that sounds like. And it trains your ear a little bit to how chaotic a progression can get and yet still make sense to our ears. It's a fascinating little idea and experimentation like Coltrane or not. So if you don't know it well already, go check it out. Right. Cool. And oh, Matt, I don't know if I even told you that I did this. I made a Just the Basics playlist on Spotify. So all these I recommendations. Made one too. Oh, you did? Oh, well, all these recommendations <laughs> are going to get added to one of ours and we're going to share it. We'll, we'll post a link in the show notes. So you guys could follow yeah, the playlist. I made, I made a Matt's recommendations list and then I went bonkers with it. I think it's like five hours long right oh, now. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Well, the one that I was doing, I was just putting stuff in as we talked about it on the show. So every time we make a recommendation on the show, I'm adding it to to the list there. So the list will get longer and longer. And uh, so it's a public one. Uh, I'll share, I'll put a link to Matt's on our website too in his little bio. So that way you guys can follow we'll that. We'll figure out how to do that. Yeah, I'll figure that out. And the Just the Basics one, I've been putting the link for that. I don't know if you guys noticed it last week. It was in the show notes. So I'm going to keep doing that. Every week we're going to add more stuff to it. Instead of adding a link to each individual YouTube video, I'll just add the songs in the playlist and make the playlist get infinitely long. So mm-hmm. anyways, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you guys listening to us every week and listening to us ramble and uh, sharing our posts and have it, helping other people get engaged and listening to it. Remember, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're on all those, so it's uh, really easy to share us and get other people other people to listen to it. So, And again, if you really like the show, this is only for people that really want to help support us, so go ahead and sign up for the Patreon. We would love to get in contact with you there, and we'll get your address and all the shipping info so we can send you those custom guitar picks. So anyways, we will see you guys next week. See ya. <laughs>